Sir Walter Raleigh was no slug. So wrote the antiquarian John Aubrey, commemorating Raleigh 60 years after his death in 1618. He meant that Raleigh was not lazy, not a sluggard, and this was certainly true. Raleigh was a soldier, a statesman, a courtier, a voyager, a colonist, a pirate, an alchemist, a scholar, a historian, a travel writer, a translator, a poet. <coughs> he exchanged romantic verse conversations with Elizabeth I, a discovery which was made in 1968 by our own senior tutor, Dr Glenn Black. He undertook epic feats of reading and of writing. In 1592, imprisoned by Elizabeth I, who was angry and jealous that he had married without her leave, he undertook to write a conciliatory poem. Rather than a sonnet, however, he planned an epic in 22 books entitled Ocean to Cynthia. <coughs> Only 522 lines of a projected 12,000 survive. And I can hear my students, the students of English literature, breathing a sigh of relief at this point. And when James VI and I imprisoned him in the Tower of London for 13 years, he took the opportunity to write a history of the world, beginning with the creation. One modern edition is 2,700 pages long. <coughs> Raleigh was thus, to use a cliché, a Renaissance man, polymathic and polypragmatic, a man of great learning and a man of great actions. <coughs> Our first reading this evening exhorted us to praise and remember famous men and gave us a variety of reasons for doing so, for their counsel, their leadership, their learning, for their verses in writing. We could praise Raleigh for all of these reasons and for more. And praising famous men, and it is hitherto always men, is of course what the service of the commemoration of benefactors is all about. Remembering those who have given to the college and remembering the example of our former members. Very little is known of Raleigh's time as a student at Oriel in the 1570s except that he grumbled about the obscure and intricate Aristotelian logic which he was obliged to learn and that he had borrowed a gown from a fellow student but never returned it or paid him for it. Now I wouldn't encourage you to emulate Raleigh in moaning about your work and in stealing each other's gowns but there are plenty of things which are exemplary about his later life. <coughs> the theme of this term's sermons is witness. Two senses of the words were invoked in the second of our readings this evening, and both of them are appropriate in one way or another to Raleigh. The first sense was already raised this term in the chaplain's sermon in first week. The Greek, the ancient Greek for witness, was martus, and is the origin of our word martyr. The passage from Hebrews begins by drawing attention to those who suffered cruel mockings and scourgings, bonds and imprisonment, those were stoned, sawn asunder, were slain with the sword. Raleigh's life was punctuated by imprisonments and trials, by a jealous Queen Elizabeth after his marriage, and twice by a paranoid King James, who accused him of treason, imprisoned him for 13 years, and later had him executed on the 29th of October 1618. Now Raleigh was not a religious but a political martyr, if a martyr at all. He was, however, conscious of his sufferings as exemplary. One of his sonnets contains the lines, For this thou hast been bruised, 
but yet those scars do beautify no less than those wounds do, received in just and in religious wars. And Raleigh was a supreme performer, particularly in adversity. At his first trial in 1603, a contemporary noted that he served for a whole act and played all the parts himself. <coughs> Francis Osborne wrote that his death was by him managed with so high and religious a resolution as if a Roman had acted a Christian, or rather, a Christian, a Roman. And for Raleigh, the whole of life was an arena for exemplary performance. In the history of the world, he talks about this stage play world. His biography is studded with moments of self-dramatisation, most notably the famous, if probably apocryphal, story of him laying down his cloak across a puddle of mud for Queen Elizabeth to walk over. also a histrionic threat to throw himself in the Thames at the site of her barge when she had imprisoned him, an episode of feigned madness later, eating grass and writhing on the ground to try and escape his death sentence, and most of all, his insinuation of his own death. Raleigh thus always acted as if compassed about with a cloud of witnesses, as the second part of our second reading puts it. But this image introduces a different sense of witness, not the witness of performed martyrdom, but the observant witness of the spectator. Now this metaphor is embedded in Greek culture, and I'm going to spend the next minute or two explaining it. And this is something of a digression from Raleigh, but since he himself wrote in the prologue to the history of the world that the life of man is nothing else but digression, I consider myself excused in advance. (coughs) In ancient Greece, there was a practice called theoria, or theory. The word means literally a looking at or a contemplation, being a spectator or a witness, but it had a more specified meaning. A theoria was a journey undertaken to go and watch a religious ritual, or to visit an oracle, or to observe games like the Olympic Games, and then to return from that event to the original community and to tell them about it. This whole pattern was important the journeying, the observing, and then the returning. The image occurs in the Bible in Luke uh, chapter 23, when Jesus has been crucified, and all the people that came together to that site, beholding the things which were done, smote their breasts and returned. (coughs) The word used for sight at this point is theoria. The people come, they are witnesses, and then they return to tell others of it. And this is also what underlies the metaphor of the cloud of witnesses in our passage tonight. They are theorists, spectators at the Olympic Games, come to observe and then return with the news of the outcome of the race. When the chaplain asked me to deliver a sermon for the commemoration of benefactors on Raleigh in a term when we were thinking about kinds of witness, it was theoria or theory which occurred to me at first as a topic. I immediately thought of his travels to the New World and and thought of them as as theoretical. He was somebody who travelled, who observed things, and then who returned to his own country, bringing something back. I suppose on some subliminal level, I was probably also thinking about Blackadder, with Raleigh returning to Elizabeth with gifts of potatoes and tobacco, or his accounts in the voyage of Guyana of the wonders of the New World, like oysters growing on trees. Now... In lots of ways, Raleigh's voyages represent a rather dubious version of Theoria. 
In his Ocean to Cynthia, there is a line which evokes voyages undertaken to seek new worlds for gold, for praise, for glory, for reputation and profit, not for witness. And some of the gold Raleigh brought back, he took by force from Spanish ships. Raleigh was a a licensed pirate. And the voyage to Guyana is shot through with a mixture of motives. On the one hand, this acquisitiveness, greed, colonialism, And on the other hand, curiosity, fascination, appreciation of strangeness and beauty, and the urge to communicate such wonders to those he'd left behind. So it's with a proper sense of the ambivalence of Raleigh's example that I'd like to make a claim for this last sense of witness, of theory, as an important one for a college and a university. In the college prayer, which the provost will read later tonight, We thank God for our benefactors, and we ask that we might rightly use the the advantages afforded us in this place. We are very lucky here. We are lucky in our material surroundings. We're lucky in the opportunities and advantages these afford us. And we're lucky in our intellectual context, in the access to resources, to scholars, and to other curious people. Curious in either sense, possibly. And we're also lucky in our duties here, um, whether as undergraduates, graduates or fellows. We're lucky that these duties involve spending time in reading and in studying. In Plato and Aristotle, the literal sense of theoria as as travel became metaphorical. Rather than an actual pilgrimage, it came to mean a pilgrimage of the mind, of contemplation, of thinking. Indeed, Aristotle uh, Aristotle called the highest happiness of human life, eudaimonia theoretice, the happiness of theory, of contemplation. But in this metaphorical use, theoria retained the duty of the theorist to return to their community and explain where they have been and what they have seen, to communicate and to contribute. In his History of the World, Raleigh praised the Theban general Epaminondas because he had much eloquence and a very deep knowledge in all parts of philosophy and learning, wherewith his mind being enlightened, he rested not in the sweetness of contemplation, but brake forth into effects. The government's current preferred metaphor for such effects is impact. And this troubles me a little. It makes me think that academia is supposed to be something like the film Armageddon, and that my book on the reception of Aristotle in 17th century English literature is a massive asteroid heading for Earth and threatening extinction for all mankind. Meanwhile, I just settle for a review in the TLS. I think the ancient model of theory um, and of witness is a better metaphor. As students and scholars in Oxford, we have the pleasure and the privilege of entering the obscure and intricate realms of numerical analysis or medieval literature or macroeconomics or the theology of creation or Kantian philosophy or whatever it is that we study. But having gone on our theoretical journeys, we should sometimes come back and communicate with those we've left behind. There are a variety of ways we might do this. We might enthuse about what we have read to a friend or demystify Oxford through helping out at open days or visiting schools or writing articles or going on to be a researcher or a teacher or simply someone who still remembers and thinks and talks about the things they learnt here. I've not always been very good at this myself um, and when I first tried to explain to my father 
what my doctorate was about in a Glasgow pub, he fell asleep over his pint. But I don't think this means that I should stop trying. I think the model of the theorist, of the traveller who goes and comes back, is a good one for the duty we owe for the privileges we have here and an appropriate way to commemorate our benefactors. Or, to phrase it in terms drawn from Raleigh, break forth into effects and be no slug. <laughs>